Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Lancet Healthy Longevity in Conversation With. I'm Sophie Rader, the Senior Editor of the Journal. Today, I am joined by Kathy Liu from the Division of Psychiatry at University College London to discuss her recent publication in the November issue of the Journal on evaluating the clinical benefits of therapies for Alzheimer's disease. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks very much for having me here today. So, just to begin, um, in 2021, the FDA approved aducanumab as a treatment for Alzheimer's disease, and then more recently in uh, July, uh, lecanemab for the same purpose. And this has raised a lot of questions and prompted a lot of discussion about the best way to define a clinically meaningful benefit um, of therapy in Alzheimer's disease. So to start things off, could you discuss why defining clinical benefit is so challenging in Alzheimer's disease and also, of course, why it's so necessary and and sort of specifically what's unique about Alzheimer's disease that makes this particular challenging? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And I think that there are several challenges to defining a clinical benefit in Alzheimer's disease. But one of the main challenges for trials is that the condition progresses over many, many years and much longer than the duration of trials that generally last between two to three years. And this means that these trials, particularly in people with mild cognitive impairment or mild dementia, they're too short and and they're not really designed to capture clear, definitive clinical endpoints such as being diagnosed with dementia or, or being admitted to a nursing home, for example. And instead, we see that, and you know, this is in line with uh, requirements for regulators such as the US FDA, the primary endpoint for clinical trials is usually the mean difference on a cognitive and functional scale between drug and placebo groups. And the challenge is then how do you determine whether any difference you see, say after two years of treatment, represents a clinical benefit for someone with Alzheimer's disease? And then this leads me on to you know, why this consideration is is really necessary, because surely you might argue any slowing of cognitive or functional decline must be a benefit. And the reason that this is not the case is because a statistically significant difference on a symptom scale between groups as shown in a trial does not necessarily mean that it represents a clinically meaningful benefit. And they're they're just not the same thing. Statistical significance is essentially about having sufficient confidence that the result is real and not just due to chance. And this is related to the power of a study or its sample size. So we can obtain statistical significance even for tiny and potentially unnoticeable effects if we have a large enough sample size. And there is a real risk that this could be what we're seeing with the aducanumab and the lecanumab results. So this is why defining clinical benefit is really important. Yeah, very interesting. So One thing that you talked about in your publication is that minimal clinically important differences, I think you touched upon, those are used in a lot of different sectors of of different health sectors to assess treatment benefits. So how do you define this concept and and what are some of the issues um, with this approach in in the context of Alzheimer's disease? Yeah, so minimum or or minimal clinically important differences or um, MCIDs for short, they're an attempt to distinguish between statistical and clinical significance, as I uh, mentioned earlier. And they're essentially defined as the smallest change on a treatment outcome that a patient or their representative would judge to be important 
and that would have clinical implications. So, for example, they could be associated with a change in their management. For, um, and, and, and this is actually quite a simple concept relatively to, to understand. But I think it's more challenging to try to apply this to trial outcomes because what you're left with is the conclusion that any effect either is or is not clinically meaningful, which I think does risk oversimplifying the issue. Um, and I don't think it intuitively feels applicable to all groups across all settings. But having said that, I also think that they currently provide the best evidence that we have to assess treatment benefit for trial outcomes. And it is reassuring that although very few studies have reported MCID estimates for the scale that was used in the recent amyloid lowering trials, which was um, the, C the clinical dementia rating summer boxer scale of CDRSB, their findings are actually pretty consistent. So the estimates that we have are likely to be reliable. So this probably is the case for a lot of different diseases, but because there's so much inter-individual variation in terms of what's deemed a clinically meaningful benefit, um, which in part is dependent on the severity of the AD, but also who is being asked. Is it the patient or is it the carer? Both patient and carer perspectives are important to, to consider. So what are some of the challenges of this in the context of dementia research? Yeah, so patient and carer perspectives, have, they haven't really been properly considered in MCID research for Alzheimer's disease particularly in relation to the amyloid lowering drugs. And this is in contrast to other areas of medicine, because in other areas we see patient reported outcomes underpinning MCID research. So it's really important to, to have these perspectives. But one of the obvious challenges of MCID research in dementia is that the condition causes progressive cognitive decline. So patient reported outcomes are likely to become more challenging to obtain and to interpret. And the other challenge is that we can't really effectively detect treatment-related change in any given individual with Alzheimer's disease because we're talking about drugs that have effects that lead to a mean reduction in cognitive decline. And we're not talking about drugs that stop or reverse cognitive decline. So any change is unlikely to be noticeable on an individual level where there's a background of ongoing, ongoing clinical progression. And what this means is that um, much of the MCID research so far has involved clinician-rated judgments of minimal or meaningful change, and, and by change I mean decline. Yeah, and I, and I think this, this, the related um, point is that this makes it actually very challenging to communicate um, trial findings and their, and their significance to patients and their carers because, you know, they how can we explain accurately, you know, what, what is meant by a, uh, you know, a reduction in cognitive, cognitive decline. And, and especially if the magnitude of this change is less than half a point on a scale, you know, which is what recent trials have shown. So more work definitely needs to be done on this. And that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, obviously, given the progression of, of the, of the disease, but why, are carers not taken into? I mean, why? Why so? Clinician ratings are often being used. Um, why would carer ratings not be? Because you know, given that they have more, the most contact with, or a lot of contact with patients, um, and they are not obviously don't have the same, they don't have these, these symptoms. Is that something that's being done, or is that is there other difficulties with incorporating uh, carer perspectives? Yeah, I don't think it would be particularly difficult to incorporate carer perspectives. I guess that. Um, 
the scale that is under investigation in these NCID studies is clinician. So the CDR is clinical dementia rating, some of boxes, it's rated by a clinician. You know, I think in a way, carer perspectives may be indirectly incorporated because some of those ratings by clinicians will obviously take into account what's being reported by the carer. Um, so in that sense, it is all part, uh, you know, all, all kind of included, but I, I don't think any study has really specifically delineated or compared carer ratings and clinician ratings and, and patient ratings. You've touched on this a bit, but the FDA defined the clearance of beta amyloid plaques as a clinically meaningful benefit, even in the absence of evident cognitive or functional benefits. Could you describe this type of approach and the associate, uh, associated limitations of it? Yeah, so as you say, the background was that, that the FDA assigned reduction of beta amyloid plaques as, a, as what's called a surrogate marker for Alzheimer's disease clinical trials. And this means that they judge this to be likely to predict clinical benefit. And the limitation of this approach is that this decision was essentially based on existing trial data. In other words, it was based on cognitive and functional score changes. So we're still left with having to determine whether any benefit on these scores is you know, associated with lowering amyloid is clinically meaningful. And as you mentioned, there's also this concept of cumulative benefit, which is the expectation that clinical benefits will get larger with time and ongoing treatment, which some people say, oh, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter whether the effects at the end of the trial um, are meaningful or not, because we're expecting them to increase with time and accrue. But unfortunately, we, we don't yet have evidence to properly support that this actually happens in any of the new drugs, even though they are classed as disease-modifying therapies. You've talked about all these different challenges um, with defining clinical benefit in Alzheimer's disease and the different limitations of the existing approaches. So that now brings us to the approach that you've proposed, which is a multi-step approach. Could you discuss what this approach is, the different steps, what it's based on, and, and how it might overcome these, these different limitations? Yeah, so in our, in our paper, we propose a three-step approach that starts with defining what is a clinically meaningful benefit. And this builds on a paper that was um, published by Dr. Kevin Weinfurt in, in JAMA in 2019. So our model involves determining whether a treatment-related change is noticeable, valuable, and worthwhile in the context of specific risks and specific costs. And here we apply the, the term change to mean the mean difference between groups in the trial because we think that this represents the change from baseline associated with a true treatment effect um, afforded by the drug. So this approach, I think, provides us with a way to move forward the discussion about clinical benefits in Alzheimer's disease. So away from thinking about NCIDs in isolation and you know, deciding that a treatment is either meaningful or not meaningful for all individuals, but also away from approaches that assume that any statistically significant change, no matter how small, is meaningful. But at the same time, allowing room for, you know, to adapt this model if newer drugs can be shown to have cumulative benefits in future. So the model doesn't directly address you know, knowledge gaps in itself, but it rather provides um, a framework to think about clinical benefit. And um, hopefully it can be useful for patients, clinicians, 
even regulators, um, healthcare providers. Um, for example, this could be a useful structure to um, base clinical individual discussions um, about whether to accept or prescribe treatment. And then just to end on a more general and forward-thinking note, what type of research is still needed to better define noticeable and valuable treatment effects in Alzheimer's disease? And along those lines, what are some of the gaps in in understanding that still need to be addressed? Yeah, so I think a a lot of work can potentially be be done. Um, I think that we need more studies that directly investigate the smallest treatment-related change that is noticeable and the smallest treatment-related change that is valuable for, you know, using a range of different outcome scales. And as we mentioned earlier, it would be also important to try to compare and, and integrate findings from different groups. So patients, carers, clinicians, um, also for different stages of disease, different settings, different sociodemographic and physical health factors. And we probably need more longitudinal studies um, to assess valuable change because we need to look at subsequent health outcomes, subsequent health economic outcomes, you know, things like change in functional status, neuropsychiatric symptoms, which we can probably only measure properly um, with enough time. Um, So our model identifies existing knowledge gaps and hopefully future studies can shed some light on what constitutes a clinical benefit for treatments in Alzheimer's disease. Perfect. Well, that's yeah, great description of of your publication and what needs what still needs to be done. Um, and so, yeah, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you'd like to add or highlight about your publication? Um, just it'd be great if people could read it. Um, so, <laughs> but thanks so much for yeah. This has been um, really interesting to to discuss, and I think a lot of work still to be done. Thank you so much to Kathy for joining us, and to you all for listening. The article we discussed today can be found on our website in the November 2023 issue and is open access. Remember that you can subscribe to The Lancet Healthy Longevity in conversation with wherever you usually get your podcasts. Thank you and see you next time.